Welcome to Helpful Social Work. Social work has the power to change people's lives for the better. This podcast aims to help you learn, think and act with integrity so that people who need social work get help that will transform their lives. Welcome back to Series 7 of Helpful Social Work. I'm Jerry, And I'm Jo. We're aiming this series to do some podcasts with guests, social workers who want to talk about what helpful social work means to them. And we're really pleased to have our first guest today, Mona Lisa Earl. I'm very lucky to um, be a colleague of Mona Lisa's and uh, she has a quote um, on her webs- on the website which says, uh, how do you want to be remembered? And she says, as someone who never hesitated to try new things, even when it was sometimes easier to stay inside the proverbial box. Um, I've over the years seen Mona Lisa jump out of that box time and time again, and um, I'm delighted to have her with us today. Mona Lisa. Thank you for that uh, lovely introduction. I uh, have actually wanted to join in on one of your very popular podcasts for a long time, so I'm very happy to be on with helpful social work and with yourself and, and Jerry, both of whom I've known for quite some time. And yes, I like to think that that quote, Joe, sums me up fairly well. Sometimes I slip, sometimes I forget, but in the main, I've been in social work for many decades. I'm not going to say how many, but I try to really adhere to those words. And I think the thing about being a social worker and working with others who are social workers or psychologists or therapists or counselors is that we also are allowed to slip and forget and get back on track. So that's what the intention was behind me giving that quote or offering that quote out there. Yeah, thanks, Mona Lisa. That's a thoughtful right off the right out of the box, isn't it? And it's a really nice reminder, I think, um, at this particular time to uh, remember self compassion and to really, you know, be thinking the whole time that you're, you're, you know, you're pushing the boundaries all the time. You're stretching yourself, but you can be kind to yourself too. Um, and yes. I think that's that's a lovely place to start. Yes, I, I agree. Be, be uh, kind to ourselves and remember that we are human beings like everyone else on the planet. And again, uh, just really try to hold on to who we are. So the, the idea behind um, having guests on is to get a bit of a sense about what helpful social work means to you. So if, if you wouldn't mind, Mona Lisa, drawing on some of, of your long and, and varied experience as a social worker, just um, give us some insights into what does helpful social work mean to you? Yes, it's, it's a great question. I gave it uh, quite a lot of thought. Again, I have been around for quite some time. <laughs> and as uh, folks will be able to hear from my accent, I'm, I'm uh, American. Uh, although that depends on, on the audience. Uh, I could say I'm Canadian, try and get away with something. <laughs> it just depends on, well, I'm, I'm American and came to the UK 18 years ago. Can't believe it, 18 years it's flown by. But I practiced in, in as a social worker in the UK, practice uh, as a social worker and a manager and 
how would you say, a recruiter and a trainer and a coach and all sorts of things here in the UK. And all of those experiences have, I hope, shaped me uh, into an evolving social worker and a better social worker as well. And I'm going to get to that question, Jerry. I honestly am. <laughs> but really just sort of want to say that I hope that people go away with an understanding of how varied social work itself mm. is as a profession. One thing that I used to say to newly qualified social workers when I was working with them, training them, you know, supervising them, was that the social work degree has become really comparable, I guess, in a way, and has for a long time to the MBA, the Master's in Business Administration, where you could use that in banks, you could use it anywhere. And social work is the same thing. When you get your social work degree, you can work in hospitals, you can work in school, you can work in uh, police uh, organizations. Uh, I worked in a law firm mm -hmm. uh, before I came to the UK uh, as the lead social worker, uh, working with attorneys to really uh, get mitigation packages in place. So social work mm -hmm. is rich, it's wonderful, it's great, it's very, and now I'm going to get to your question. <laughs> yeah, is, there, is there a theme then that runs through it? <laughs> yeah, there is a theme. The theme is, is that we bring our, so our whole selves and our experiences with us to social work. And then that informs what helpful social work means. So for me, helpful yeah. social work is that we're person-centered practitioners, that we believe with the right supports in place, that clients have an opportunity to be heard over the sometimes unhelpful noise of bureaucracy. And that if given a chance to tell and even perhaps change the arc of their stories, the communities that we serve can teach us a thing or two. So that's helpful social work in a nutshell, bringing in the voices of everyone impacted really by our intervention mm -hmm. as social. And so that intervention has to be changed to a partnership. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's really fascinating, actually, that it is, in one way, it's quite simple, but behind that is so much complexity, isn't it? And so much variety and Indeed. diversity. It, it and really I, is, yeah. Yeah, I love the idea of um, changing the arc of their stories um, through partnership, not through intervention, um, and allowing people's voices to be heard over the top of the bureaucracy um, and bringing them out much more strongly than the processes. And I, I agree with you, Mona Lisa. I think at the heart of social work, it is that relational partnership that allows the person to shine, really. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I thought that was that, that I've, I've written down several quotes. I nearly always do, don't oh. I, Jerry? Write, write things down <laughs> that, then, that then I take away with me. Thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, imagine you, Jay, with a little nest with lots of things. Kind yeah, of. yeah, that's what I am like. <laughs> I'm like a little bowerbird. I, I um, take and – and I think lots of social workers are actually little little magpies. We do. We do. We take those, those helpful, shiny, value-laid, you know, not value-laden, mm -hmm. but, but, you know uh, – 
coach and values and, and respect and that sort of thing. And we use them at strategic points. And, and again, just to clarify a bit more, when I talk about the arc of people's stories, that arc really sits alongside or becomes an overlay, as, as you said, Joe, if we're talking about intervention, that arc looks different. Mm. If we're talking about inclusion and relational practice, that arc takes a different direction. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's so important to remember, isn't it? Is that yeah. we're not we're not a passive force and they're not a passive force either. That's right. to, together we're creating something. And the creation mm-hmm. has to be something that's valued by the people we're working with. Yes. Um, and that's that's the key of it. And I wrote yeah. down here value infused saying. Yes, that's that's what phrase. I'm always looking for. Value infused yes. saying. I like that value. So I'm gonna jot a note and take that one down, Joe. So the, the value. <laughs> you infuse but if, if you drew a picture of that arc and that storytelling you would see several trajectories so the arc would overlay or sort of be on on uh, uh and I'm, I'm not a, i can't draw very well but the arc would go as far as that experience and then Mm. the arc would continue with the next experience Mm. and then that arc would finally at some point if there are safeguarding issues turn into intervention yeah so if you drew that picture and you visualize that that storytelling arc it's going to stop at certain points where we do in fact intervene or it's going to continue into that relational practice where we don't have to intervene in the typical way we do, but where collaboration then comes in. And then eventually we, oh, sorry, Jerry, you go. I was just going to say that I think at times social work has um, uh, much too far on the side of we create the story or we tell people what the story has to be. And that's a lot of its roots as well. Unfortunately, that kind of meddling really in people's stories. Uh, So it's, but it, yeah, it is. It is. It is interesting to bear in mind that there's there's a balance. But again, that's the openness, isn't it? The partnership, uh, in terms of dialogue, at least, even if yes. you've got a very statutory um, story that you've got to bring, you you would still be in that really open discussion. Yeah, I, I like that distinction that you just made, Jerry, about the fact that for for history, you could say really almost of social work, we've been telling other people's stories. And at some point we we got clued in that, wait a minute, you know, people, we can empower people to tell their own stories, no matter how difficult those stories are. Uh, We can empower them to give us their words instead of imposing, and we did, we, you know, imposing our words or our themes or our values onto them, thereby ultimately erasing their voice. Mm. 
That's such a powerful thought, isn't it? And it doesn't surprise me, Mona Lisa, that you've led us straight into talking about stories, because although I, I know that you you like to hide your light under a bushel, um, I don't know if you know this, Jerry, that Mona Lisa actually has a PhD um, and has is a published author, and Fabulous. her book is all about really starting to think about, um, you know, the the world that's hidden in the margins of comics and the way people, particularly black women, um, are, are portrayed in, um, in, in those comic books. So it's interesting we've moved straight into this th- thinking about social work, you know, as, as another place where, you know, maybe people's stories are cut off at the margins by bureaucracy, you know, um, and there's much more richness going on outside those margins and how we capture those voices so I, I think that's that's really interesting that we've we've yeah, moved straight onto that as a story. That um, we've moved into comics, which is is you know something I live and breathe and dream and and use. And, and again, it's been around as a therapeutic tool for many, many, many years. And many scholars have written uh, about it to great lengths. And what I tried to capture in my book, as Joe said, was that connection, but also that disconnection that's happening and how we take those connectors or the lack of connection and we retell the story, really. You know, those of us who have been, whose voices have been muted Mm. or silenced completely, we get a chance through creative means, and both of you have experienced this, I'm sure, through when we do play therapy. Mm. You know, we, we use so many different tools to bring out memories, to bring out stories, to bring out the voice. Mm. And with women of color or people of color in particular, there have been so many uh, ways that we have been silenced that cutting through again that bureaucracy that voice that that all-encompassing eurocentric voice has is a lifelong struggle Mm. and so there there are many uh amazing scholars out there doing incredible work with comics and and giving people of color especially queers of color a different mechanism through which they can write and draw their own stories. So thanks for mentioning that, Joe. But uh, yeah, I, I usually don't really. I, I know you don't, but it's um, it's a remarkable piece of work, and it's some and it, and I mean, I guess I, the reason I I drew it in, Mona Lisa, was because it it clearly resonates through your practice. You can hear that in the way that you were just speaking then, you know, about stories and images and arcs and all of those things. So obviously, you know, your passion and your practice sit sit closely together. And um, I wondered if I could if I could ask you our second question because it feels like it would nicely dove tail into this, um, which is, can you give an example of truly helpful social work? I can try. That would be good. (laughs) And feel free to jump in and say, well, what about this? I'm not sure about that, Mona Lisa. So helpful social work. So I'll give an example of 
probably one of the most powerful examples I, I was able to think of in respect to helpful social work was in those organizations that I've worked for where young people were actually included on interview panels, job interview panels. And I remember my first experience with that was, oh, I can't remember how long I'd been in the UK, but there was an interview panel of young people. I think it was probably five, four or five young people, different ages, who had really been involved with the organization for quite some time. They were uh, very central in the children's rights uh, uh, organization, and, and they really brought such insight and sophistication into the questions that they asked us as you know, social workers. And some of the questions, I was just stunned. And, and I've conducted myself hundreds of interviews, you know, as a workforce development manager, as a recruit, recruitment manager, uh, as a, you know, manager in social work, I've conducted uh, interviews, but these were really tough questions. So the helpfulness of that was that their questions really made me stop and seriously reflect on the power that I had to either help affect positive change in their lives or to insert bias and unfairness into the process. And I like to think that I've always practiced the former, you know, where I've interjected fairness into the process where I've invited uh, different voices to, to have a say. And of course, that's why we have multi-agency working and all of that sort of thing, because we don't have the answer. We, as one person or organization alone, we don't have that answer. So young people reminded me of the things that they worried about, the things that we haven't heard, even though they've said it to us, but because our filters are so geared toward, I think, as, as Jerry alluded to, you know, that intervention, our, our filters are still, we're still trying to unpack those filters and peel, peel those filters away and be less precious about those filters that tell us to intervene, intervene, intervene. And young people remind you, wait a minute, do you really understand what your intervention does to us? And, or... On a more positive uh, note, young people might say, do you understand how your willingness to empower my voice has made a difference in my life? Hmm. So, so I think those two things, though, well, I think that example is probably the most helpful thing that I've witnessed and done as a social work professional. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because it's uh, it requires agency from the social worker to 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 actually to actively give up their leadership in that situation. Yes. Um, I mean, sometimes we think that kind of empowering people is is sort of sitting back and letting, but you have to make a positive decision, don't you? To yes to create that space to help you know to have that interview panel or you know whatever it is that that is 
done um and to let what happens happen yes yeah beautifully said jerry i i remember that i had to sit back and let the young people be the experts i had to sit back and really accept that they had legitimate questions and i had to sit back and realize that and acknowledge that wow they were really some smart young people and that i shouldn't be frightened of that and once i embraced that thinking in my own head of there's no need to be fearful of a truth being spoken i s- felt very comfortable then in that interview process with the young people. I think that's really interesting because I think we talk about courageous practice quite a lot. Um which generally that comes with it all those kind of connotations again quite eurocentric don't they of people like rushing in to do things courageously rather than courageously stepping out of the way. Right. I like that. Courageously stepping out of the way. That's exactly what I meant. And you summed it up in, in fewer words than I, than I did. But I, I tend to, once you get me going, I tend to just go on and on. So thank you for that. It's a beautiful uh, example. Yeah. Thank you. It is. And it's, uh, it really, you know, is um, the thing I like about that example, Mona Lisa, is it's about, it's a true collaboration because we're always talking about, you know, um, making sure we use experts by experience and making sure that we collaborate and we co co-produce and all of these, all these terms, aren't there? And they're worthy goals. They are, but they have to be done properly. And you do have to seed power and you do have to let whatever's going to happen as a result happen um, and follow through the consequences and stay really true to that process. And so I, I loved that description because it really talked about, you know, a, a true journey of collaboration, um, not just kind of bringing someone in, hearing what they had to say, being a bit moved by it or a lot moved by it and then moving on not having given up anything yourself. And it reminds me of a conversation we had um, oh, maybe a few years ago now, Mona Lisa, when I started um, thinking about how I could be more anti-racist as a person and how I could bring the company um, into a better place. And you said to me, what are you willing to give up? Yes. And that's always stuck in my head that because it's exactly the same, isn't it? As a social worker with all the power we have, if we want to be in partnership and collaborate, then what are we giving up as well as what are we bringing in is is a good question, actually, I think. It's a very good question for, you know, on that continuum of what are we giving up question? So are we giving up our privilege? And if we are, what does that look like from person to person to person? Mm. Is it the privilege again of being a social work, being in the, in the profession, because that is a privilege. Mm. And are we ceding that to some degree, as you said, to young people, to clients, to those with whom we work? So where on the spectrum or the continuum are we in fact, seeding that are we seeding it wholly partially Mm. 
minimally, <laughs> microscopically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what are we willing to really, really give up? What, what's the thing that we're willing to give up that would cause us maybe a bit of psychic pain, mm. <laughs> you know, to let go of that privilege? Yeah. No, it's a, it's an excellent thing to think about, isn't it? And it's like I said, you know, that we had that conversation a long time ago now. Yes. Um, and it's, but it's, uh, I always have it in the forefront of my head, though, that question. I'm coming into this, what, what is it I'm willing to give up? Good. Um, and and I, I wonder if I can, you know, think of an example of any privilege that I think I may have had that I've, given up. And I think, again, it goes back to the interview panel with the young people. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I, I just said, wow, go for it. <laughs> Ask me whatever questions you need to. And if I can answer them, I will do so as honestly as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I seated my position as mm-hmm. the adult or one of the adults in the, it was a group interview, one of the social work adults in, in the room. And mm-hmm. I could see uh, my peers, my social work peers on that interview panel struggling to give away that power to mm-hmm. not control the interview, <laughs> you yeah. know? And that's what we do sometimes. We ask young people to say things and to speak up and to tell us, and then we jump in and we control where we want the conversation to go, or we try to control the outcome or we try to reinterpret what we heard them say. And we really, as you said, Joe, we just have to be open and unafraid of the consequences. Mm. Just, you know, so, so I think one of the other uh, sort of helpful examples uh, is to, for social workers, professionals at every level uh, to hit the, the refresh button, whereby we, we push the boundaries of our role we take up new challenges and where possible and with safeguarding at the forefront of our work, we move forward in concert with our clients. That's um, that's just got me just like my head's just going bing, bing, bing like this because I just realized that I had never thought about the intrinsic power that I carry just by being an adult when I work with children. I I know that sounds really crazy, but I've been aware of my power as a social worker, my power as a decision maker, all of that kind of thing. But I've never really thought, actually, I have all this power as an adult. And then I was thinking about the fact that even when I'm working with other adults, I often have power, not only the power of my position as a social worker, but the power of my health the power of my um, finances. So there's a whole range of, of, of situational things around me that I bring into those encounters that other adults may see also as power that I might not be counting because I'm busy thinking about the legislative power or the role power that I have rather than the personal power. So that was um, that just kind of set me off over there going bing, bing, bing. I'm yeah, I think I think the now. bing, bing, bing uh, said a lot. <laughs> 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 Actually, I think we need to have the bing, bing, bing going on because if 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 those uh, uh, how would you say those noises are not flashing. Uh, in front of our eyes that, wait a minute, something is happening here and I need to stop and reflect and think about what is happening. What am I letting go? And do I understand indeed the kind of power that I have over young people and adults, but young people in particular, because we have 
we have uh, loads of different kinds of power over young people mm-hmm. that we don't always have over uh, the adults in their mm-hmm. lives. And mm-hmm. the fear and anxiety that that introduces into a young person's life is immeasurable Mm. if we're not listening to their stories. And so again, young people have started taking those adult conversations and adult positions of power Mm. and forming children's rights organizations and sitting on interview panels and really having a very, very, very legitimate say in who gets hired as a manager, as a head of service, as an assistant director. And, you know, I have seen, you know, some of their feedback from these interview panels where they say, I, as a young person who has been in the system, do not think that this social worker who came to our panel or this AD who came to our panel or this head of service is actually going to be a positive force for change in your organization. And you know what? We actually listened to that. We really and truly listened. And we really had to say we are giving them an adult voice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Just, uh, I mean, you've, you've said lots of really, really powerful things to say, Mona Lisa. I suppose I uh, just wanted to give you the, the, um, the opportunity to kind of say, uh, you know, give another message, a final message to social workers or, you know, um, bring something to the fore that you'd really like people to take away from the podcast. Yes, I, I think having conversations like this, honest conversations where we get together with our colleagues, our peers, And we talk about things that perhaps we never knew how to give voice to before. When you talk to someone other than yourself, (laughs) I do talk to myself a lot. (laughs) When you talk to someone or or a group of people other than yourself and you exchange Mm. knowledge and information and concerns and fears and anxieties, then you come out with richer reflections, Mm. richer tools in how to reflect. So my, um, I guess, parting comment would be, I guess one of the most valuable skills that I learned in social was to challenge myself so that I could proactively challenge others. Mm. That's, that's, great and actually that that is exactly what you've done today um certainly to to me and to joe but also hopefully to listeners as well so thank you so much thank you so much for having me on